The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Intense passage. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered together today as your people. We are your body and you are the head. You are within each and every one of us and you are here with us, God. I pray for Randall this morning that you would give him uh, the words to speak through your spirit words of boldness, truth, and wisdom, God, and that we would leave today with uh, the worship service and the baptisms filled with joy and, and, and overflowing in praise to you, God. We pray this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Today we are um, going to jump into this passage from Acts. And, you know, I think the beautiful thing about going through whole books of the Bible is that you go through the whole book of uh, that, that particular section, right? So you're not skipping over different sections, preaching kind of what you want to preach and other parts where you don't. Um, this is one of those passages that I think is a, is a hard one for us to understand, but I hope that today we can walk away with, with more clarity about what's happening here in this passage. Um, I do want to say uh, thank you for following all of the guidelines uh, when it comes to gathering here on a Sunday morning. Um, I think it's really important to my heart because uh, just a little about my past couple of weeks, my parents um, got COVID and they have been in and out of the hospital. And it's been something that has been just hard for me to process. And I've just been calling, checking in on them, asking if I need to come out there. And so that's kind of the the season that I'm in right now um, with my family. My mom's got asthma. And so uh, I think it's really important for us to continue to to follow these guidelines so that we can protect each other. Um, But I just want to say thank you for our church community continuing to take this seriously. 
Now, as we jump into the book of Acts today, um, our text is from Acts 4, 36 through 5, 11. And the message for today is a holy community, a holy community. Now, last week we looked at how the early Christian community was marked by a radical generosity. See, to us, it might look a little extreme. To the world, it might look a little extreme. But to true believers of Jesus, that's just how we live. With this radical generosity. See, the the early Christians gave in a way that that cut into their lives. They were giving them their whole selves. And it was both generous and sacrificial. And what we've seen over the past couple of weeks in the early church is that Christians endured persecution that was coming from the outside. There were people that were looking at them and, and there was this persecution that was coming because they were proclaiming Jesus in a real and authentic way. But what we see in today's text is a threat that isn't coming from the outside, but is actually coming from the inside of the church. See, before it was those threats that were being breathed upon the church of, we're going to harm you and and, and persecute you if you continue to speak the name of Jesus. But today we see that there's this dramatic display of God's judgment on people from the inside of the church. What this is, is what we're seeing today is that, that, that we serve a God who's holy and that has every right to judge. Now, in her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin talks about how we live in a culture that doesn't enjoy talking about God and judgment. She said, we 21st century Westerners hate judgment We fear being judgmental and blame horrific crimes on mental health problems, religious extremism, or educational deficits. To be sure, all of these can be factors. And yet, when we hear of callous murders, carefully planned terrorism, or systemic abuse, part of us still yearns for justice. Christianity acts like a searchlight. On the one hand, it confronts us with a God who sees our thoughts. He knows our hearts and our pretense, our words and our deeds. See, when we look at the scriptures, what we see is that there's a God who does know everything about us. And what I see in our culture is that we actually do yearn for judgment. It's what's called cancel culture today. Right? We're we're ready to bring judgment and bring the hammer down on anything that we don't think is right. But what we need is a pure judge, a righteous judge, a holy judge who judges rightly, not part of the time, but all of the time. And so why did God bring judgment, swift judgment in this biblical account? It's because God's church is called to be a holy community, a holy community. The word in the definition for holy can seem a little out there for us because when we think of holy, we think of holier than thou, right? People who think that they're better than everybody else and who act like they have no problems and all of those things. That's what we think of when we think of the word holy. But what the Bible says about the word holy is this, that we're separate, we're set apart, we're distinct. 
Russell Moore said, a church that loses its distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which to engage the culture. A worldly church is of no good to the world. You see, what does it look like to be a distinct community that lives differently than the rest of the world? See, what does this type of holiness look like in a church? Well, it's defined by great grace, which we saw back in verse 33 before. But also, what we see in verse 11, a great fear. See, there's a great grace and a great reverence and awe for God that leads Christians to be a distinct, set-apart community. See, if God is not only Savior, but Lord, that means he's in charge. And if God alone is good, then he has every right to judge what's good and what's not good. And so what we see in today's text is that this is the community that God is calling his people to be. Different, set apart. Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right, there are different values and beliefs that you're going to have that's going to make you distinct. But in many ways, what's happened with the church is that we look a lot like the world around us. And that needs to be called out. And so as we look at this passage from today, my question is, do you want to be a part of a community like this? Do you want to be a part of a community like this? Because even when we look at that passage, we're like, ah, that sounds a little intense, right? But to have a God who is calling a people to be distinct and different. It's not absent of grace. It's actually full of grace. But it's also full of a fear and a reverence of who God is. And so our text today is Acts 4, 36 through 5, 11. And, and what's happening here? Well, the author Luke is laying out two historical narratives. Side by side. That uh, one preacher, Sinclair Ferguson, says are intimately connected. They're intimately connected. He's putting one, on one side the account of Barnabas, Joseph, who had the nickname Barnabas. And we're going to see him a couple chapters later. And just what he does in the church, that, that he does amazing things through the power of God in his life. And then we see the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And so what do we see from today's text about what this holy community looked like? What made it distinct? Well, there's three things that, that really stick out from this passage. Number one, it's there's an integrity. Integrity. Number two, there was a deception. Number three, accountability. Integrity, deception, and accountability. So the first one, integrity. Look at verses 36 through 37. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's happening here? Well, Barnabas is a living example of someone who honestly believed the gospel. Jesus had genuinely changed his life. And it wasn't just part of his life, but it was all of his life that he was laying before Jesus. 
See, there is an honesty and integrity in Barnabas that flowed all the way to his possessions and his money. And so we talked about that last week. See, every part of his life was impacted by Jesus. And so James says this too, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, this is the type of faith that we see in the life of Joseph. See, when we talk about this word integrity, what does that mean? It means that an integer, right? The, the integer is like a whole number. And so there's a wholeness to the life of Joseph. And what happened is that he, he started to get this nickname that people started to call him, right? The, the, the apostles called him the son of encouragement. And so can you imagine getting this nickname of like when people see you, they don't call you by your name anymore like Joseph. They actually call you by a different name. Like you're the son of encouragement. They changed his name because of what they saw in his life. There is an integrity about him that made him different. Right? They said that's somebody that we can trust. That's somebody that we can raise up into leadership because he's different. You see, for Bar- Barnabas, his life had been changed, and it says that he sold a field that belonged to him. Now, we're going to dive into this a little more, but, but this early Christian community was not some strange form of communism here. Okay, I do want to say that. That's not what's happening here. It wasn't like, well, um, they just, everybody owned everybody's stuff. No, but he made a decision. This was something that belonged to him. And there was a conviction that filled his heart and said, I need to make a sacrifice. I need to do this before God. There was nobody forcing him to sell this piece of land. But he was convicted that this is what I need to sacrifice so that others can benefit. I had one college student that came up to me last week and said, man, I really want to, uh, to know how this applies to my life because I barely have anything to give, right? I, I, I'd like to be generous, but I'm not able to be a lot generous because I don't have a lot. And I said, you know what? This is the season for, for you to come in, come in and be blessed, man, because there are people in this church. We're further along in life. We have more. And so we can share with you. We can bless you. There's no like condition of here's how much you got to give to be a part of this community. But for those of us who are further along in life and have the ability to give, we want to be a blessing to you. And so we want this to be just a space where you don't have that pressure. Right? It's the conviction of the heart. And that's what's leading Barnabas in his life. He truly believes that if he sees a brother and sister in need, he's going to sacrifice so that they can have what they need. And so it says that he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But then we get into the second narrative here. So we got Barnabas, and we remember looking at that last week. But now we're going to look at another story here. 
And this is a section where we talk about deception. Look at verses 1 through 5 and then verses 8 through 9. So it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? Again, did it not remain your own? It was your own, right? The, the, the apostles did not put out some mandate that everybody had to sell their stuff. Wasn't it your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Didn't you have the decision to make with what you were going to use and, and how you're going to use it? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? See, this is a heart issue. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. And then verse 8, and Peter said to, the, to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together? They agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. See, again, this is one of those passages where it's intense. And so what is it that Ananias and Sapphira are doing here that, is, that makes this passage so intense? Well, they are representing themselves in a way that wasn't genuine, that wasn't real, that in many ways would have aligned with what the Pharisees were doing. Remember how harsh Jesus was with the Pharisees? Remember how he talked to the Pharisees? He said, you brood of vipers. He, got, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. He says, you, you lay heavy burdens on people, but you're not willing to carry it yourself. Right, that, that, that's what's happening. Remember how harsh Jesus was with people that were fake? The religiosity? See, why did Ananias and Sapphira do this? Well, Sinclair Ferguson again points out that Luke is introducing them in a way that shows that they wanted a reputation like Barnabas. They wanted a reputation like Barnabas. In some way, they were seeking honor and power. And the way that they were going to do it was through selling what they had, but using it in a way for themselves to get honor and acclaim. See, this wasn't about greed. It was about deception. It was about deceiving. Can you imagine they were looking at Barnabas and hearing the stories about how great Barnabas was, and he's the son of encouragement. And look at what he did. He sold a piece of property. He laid it at the apostles' feet. He's got all this leadership, and he's got all of this, like, the people that, that, that want to know who he is. What if we did the same thing? But we did it in our terms on our way. See, this was hypocrisy. 
This is what the story is about. It's about a hypocrisy of people. Right again, like I talked about last week, the, the, the thing that, that can happen in the church is an idolatry of possessions and money and using those things for leverage. And sadly, I've seen that. Where people will use what they have and say, well, if you don't do this, then I'm out of here. You want to leverage resources and what you have to put people in fear. But again, what this is is about hypocrisy and integrity. And what we see in the life of Ananias and Sapphira is that they were attempting to deceive the church for their own personal gain. Here's the thing. Ray Ortland says this. He says, we cannot deceive God. Twice in the, the act, the acts, in Acts, God is called the heart knower. But we can deceive ourselves. See, God knows the heart. What was it that was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira? It says that, that God knew their heart. He knew what was going on in their heart. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Friends, we're all sowing something. And what this is saying is this, that we can't like mock God by saying that what we sow isn't going to be what's reaped. It happens, right? And, and all of these things follow through. But what we find is that there is still a God of grace. But that is not absent of accountability. It's not absent of accountability. And that's the last point, verse 10 through 11. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What was the accountability that was happening here? Well, what was going on inwardly was exposed outwardly. There was an accountability before God and others. Right, this is uh, one of those things that, that again, it's hard for us to grasp. Because we look at this and we say, isn't that an extreme case? But what we find in Romans 6.23 is this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right there, there is a heaviness and a weight before the living God that we come to and say, God, you have every right to judge me. If, if it was not for the grace of God, no one would be able to stand. And what we see here is the reality that Ananias and Sapphira could not stand in their own hypocrisy and deception. God called it out right on the spot. Why would he do that? Why would he allow this to happen? It's because his church was not meant to be used for selfish gain. It wasn't meant to be used by people for their own advancement. God's church and his people are, are holy people, a set-apart people. 
C.S. Lewis once said, he said, we must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance and where everyone lives the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. Ananias and Sapphira had experienced a, a, a people filled with the grace of God. They'd experienced a community that was seeing God move in radical ways. And yet, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Right? When, when, when God's church is God's church, people can look at it and say, well, it's, it's just not enough for me. And so let me push it in this direction or this direction. Let me let it become this or that. But no, at the end of the day, we are a set apart people, a holy people that are called to live for Jesus. And nothing is meant to come in the way of that. And very early on in God's church, he was making the point that again, my church is not meant for the lifting up of people, personalities, but it was there to glorify God. And my hope in this season as a church, I'm talking about the church, right? The big C church is that we get this message. I've heard this called the great reset, the time that we're living in. And if this is the great reset, the church needs to reset on what matters and what really is important. And to live in a way that's so distinct from the world that people are like, wow, that, I thought that's what the church is supposed to be. Because you know what? The people on the outside of the church, they are expecting the church to be a holy community. They're expecting the church to be a distinct people. But sadly, what, what happens many times is that they've come in and they've said, man, these people aren't any different. So how does this accountability happen? Well, there is an accountability before God to a community of people. And Ananias and Sapphira had to come to terms with this sooner than they expected. I've heard this preached different ways. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were Christians and then they came into the presence of Jesus and then he was just like, come on. Come on in. Could have happened that way? I don't know. Heard it preached a lot of different ways. But, but I think the, 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 the point for us today is this, that there is a seriousness and a reverence that's meant to be amongst God's people and his church. And so how can we examine ourselves today before God? If we were to look at ourselves, right, and examine ourselves and ask God to examine us, what would that look like? Well, just some takeaways here. Before we jump into this, I love this quote from Spurgeon. He says, "Before or beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. We carry our worst enemies within us. Right? We need God to filter who we are. We need a holy God to come in and say, hey, these are some areas in your life that need to be brought to light. And so let's ask some questions. The first one is this, am I avoiding my sin? 
right? Is there some hypocrisy in me? This is the thing I've been praying all week. Lord, Lord, show me, help me to see this. God, I want to grow. I want to grow in you, Lord. There's an honesty and the Lord knows the heart. Here's the thing. God knows your heart. So coming before the Lord honestly and said, am I avoiding my sin? Am I being deceived? You know, again, like the the, the person who's most deceived is the one who believes that they're not deceived. (laughs) You know, there's... There, there's some of these areas where we need to say, where's the deception in my life? Lord, show these things because you are the one who knows. You're the one who's truly good. Number two, am I blaming God, church, or others for my sin? Right, what, what's easier to do many times is to point on the outside saying that's the problem and not looking on the inside and saying, Lord, show me the problem. Show me the areas where I need to grow. It's easier to point fingers. But asking the Lord, am I blaming anything outside of me or even my circumstances? And saying, you know what? That's the problem more than what's going on inside of me. Lord, show me again the areas where I need to grow. Am I apathetic towards my sin? Right? Am I apathetic towards my sin and the things that are going on in my life? Am I willing to be accountable to other Christians about my sin? Am I willing to be accountable? You know, one of the things that it says, 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In the same passage, it talks about how if we say that we have no sin, that we're calling God a liar. Right? This is about the purity of coming before God and saying, Lord, I need you, but also I need my brothers and sisters. Later in verse 13, if you've seen this, I'm going to read this. Later in verse 13, we'll look at this next week, but it says, <laughs> people on the outside, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. None of the people dared to join them but they held him in high esteem. Why did they hold him in high esteem? Because they heard about Ananias and Sapphira? And they're like, that, wow. I'll hold him in high esteem, but I'm not going to dare to join them because I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> right? I don't want to be that, that story. I don't want to be that person. It, but but well, what the people that were actually there that were like real Christians, they actually held each other accountable to the grace of God, but also the fear and the reverence of God. Right? Not to take the things of God lightly. And so they were accountable to each other in that. I was talking with a friend this week. Uh, it was right after the Everyday Gospel. I do this on Thursdays. I'll talk with someone, just kind of interview them. And then this week I was interviewing my friend Pete Contreras. He's a pastor at New Vision Church here in San Diego. Great church. Love Pete. Love what they're doing. And we were talking about mentoring and discipleship. And he was talking about all of these different stories of, of you know, people that he's mentored over the years and discipleship and a, and a humility that's needed to, to grow personally. 
um, and to stay in relationship. And, and right after I was done, uh, one of my friends, Jerry, older, older man, uh, loves the Lord. He actually prays for us every Sunday. He, he, he messaged me on, messaged me on Saturday nights on Facebook, says, I'm praying for you, pray for your church. I'm praying that God speaks to you tomorrow. Does it every Sunday, loves the Lord. And he said, Randall, he's, he's like, I'm a simple man. I don't own a lot. He's like, look, I'm just a simple guy living in a small town, lives in South Carolina. He said, well, I pray for you guys. He said, I want to read you this letter because he said, there was a person um, that God brought into my life. Younger guy. Didn't grow up in a good household. Said, um, can you mentor me? Basically, he said, can you be my dad? He said, you're a pastor. Can you be my dad? I've never had a dad. He says, I'll do everything I can to love you and support you and help you. And he brought this guy into his house and he lived with his family and became basically his son. And there was another man that was the, this guy's uh, blood brother and looked at it and made fun of him for it. Uh, tore him down, said, You're, what are you doing? This Christianity thing, it's stupid. My friend Jerry said there was an altercation that happened one night where this guy just basically, uh, yeah, just made him look a fool and really embarrassed him. And then that, that man got arrested and he wrote him from prison. He wrote Jerry from prison and he said, um, I've seen what God's done in my brother's life. I've seen what God's done through you and I'm sorry for what I've called you. I'm sorry for the ways that I tore you down. I'm sorry. And I just gave my life to Christ in prison and I want to be a new person and I just want to ask you if you could forgive me for the way that I treated you. I didn't understand at the time what you were doing. I didn't understand why you were different. I didn't understand. But now I see now I see the light. Now I see what God has done. And would you just write to me and, and encourage me? And my friend Jerry, just with tears in his eyes, older man, older gentleman, just loves the Lord. He's like, I'm, I'm just a part-time school teacher. He said, that's, that's what it looks like to be, for me to live out being distinct in this world. And the reason I tell you that is this. As we start to evaluate our lives, as we start to come before God and say, God, will you start to purify my heart and make me who you want me to be? Yeah, you're going to get some persecution. Maybe but might be from the outside. Maybe it might be from the inside. But God knows your heart. And God's going to work through you and use you in ways that you never thought possible. How is that true? How is that, how is that able to be true? It's because of Romans 5.8. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today we saw Ananias and Sapphira die. They died because they couldn't stand before a holy God. And you know the truth? All of us deserve 
with Ananias and Sapphira got because all of us in some way or another have been hypocrites, have been deceptive. But it's the only one who walked this earth in full integrity in full fullness of an embodiment of what good truly is. He's the one that had, who had to die for us while we were still sinners. He's the one who had to die for the hypocrite in us. He's the one who had to die for the deceiver in us. He's the one who had to die so that we could have new life and we can be a holy community. We can only be a holy people because of a holy God. He came, he lived it, he did it, and he died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when you see that, when you know that, when you believe that, like deep in your heart, it's going to make you into a new person that you could have never been. It's going to change your life in ways that you never thought possible. Because for the first time, honestly, it's like, here's what it looks like to be real. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to try to achieve things to, to make people think I'm valuable. We don't have to play that game anymore. But we can live with our true selves and know that God has made a way for us in Jesus. In Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we will today um, remember the good news of the gospel. <sighs> that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that if I were honest to stand before a holy God, I would not be able to stand. I would fall flat on my face like Ananias and Sapphira. But it's you, God, who comes in and changes our hearts and makes us holy and makes us whole. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us and that we can truly be a distinct people. Not because we have um, curated our pictures on Instagram and uh, made ourselves look nice on Facebook and everybody thinks we're a good person. No, you know our hearts. And we don't want to be a, a people that are painting a picture that's different than who we truly are. Yes, we are sinners saved by grace. We are called saints. We still sin. Lord, help us to live into the being saints that you've called us to be. May people look at us and say, they're not perfect, but they are people of integrity. They're not putting on a face of acting like they're something that they're not. I pray that we can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.